and welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. And today we are in for a gigantic, gigantic treat. One of our all-time favorite guests, one of the most downloaded guests, and one of the most talked about guests is back with us. And I don't even like to say the word guest anymore because I feel like she's family because she's come back so often. And um, she will always be my curly-headed sister. Um, She is fabulous in all the ways. Katie and Julia, how much do we love our guest today, our family today that has joined us? So much. Door, door, casted. Now she has got married. I yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Kessid, you're going to have to tell us your married name. Yeah, my name now is Kessid and Dent Fitzsimons. I there love that. Go. There you go. Because that's I'm, a monogram right there. I isn't love it. That. Dope? Yeah. Getting in my mind to say Kessid Dent. And right. I'm like, that is not her name anymore. Full yeah. name. Keep going now. That's right. That's right. I love that. That's so good. Kested, you really are one of our most talked about guests because um, not only do people sit on the edge of their seats when you tell stories, but I mean, your whole profession, you're a storyteller. You story through the Bible. You story when you talk. Even your um, social media, it's just one story after another captured through little square images. Um, you are the queen of storytelling. And the reason I love that so much is because it does, the way you story so much reminds me of the way Jesus storied. I mean, you really just explain a lesson and people want to lean in because it's so intriguing. And today is going to be exactly like that. It's going to be exactly like that. It's going to be good. I can't wait. That's so humbling. Like, thank you so much. Well, you know, we've all said, Katie and I have said that one day, and we're still going to do this, Katie, that we're going to sneak in the back of one of your classes and like audit it and take it the whole semester. Look, there is no, there is no need for you to sneak. Like you come in with Tom Palm and I will welcome you in with open arms. No, we can't wait. Julia, you're going to come with us. And yeah, we're going to go in the back of the class. We, you got to, there was there one thing that you were storing through and we were like, Katie and I said, Ooh, that's the class that we're going to attend. Do you remember this Katie? Katie, we decided we were going to do it one day. I do. And listeners, um, Cassid is a professor at Liberty University. Right. And so that's what we're talking about. Just in case you haven't heard the her back episodes, I'm just informing you who Cassid is and um, highly sought after classes I have heard. Yes. So that's what we're talking about, about wanting to drive down there and sneak in and be, be in one of her classes. And we love Cassid because she really does believe stories change life and as you know that we hit that uh that line but we really believe that line it's not just something catchy to say we really do believe that stories help us make sense of our own lives help us find our own place help us find our own relationship maybe with god in a different way or a new light or a different perspective and listeners this is so cool because you know, we've been through a long season where we've been talking about hope, help, and healing. Now, it's kind of been the theme. And we're starting a new theme about how women's stories in the Bible really can change lives. Now, the joy of having Kesset on today is she has a story 
from a woman in the Bible, but also part of her own personal story that kind of marries that theme of healing and hope and help sent from God uh, to change lives. And so what a beautiful guest during our transition to a new theme. And we will stop yapping and hear from Kesed. So Kesed, um, reintroduce yourself because I know some of you listeners, your fans like Julia is one of Kesed's biggest fangirls and we'll <laughs> let you tell that, Julia. Um, but reintroduce yourself to those that maybe haven't heard the back episodes. Yeah, okay. So um, like they said, my name is Kessid Fitzsimons. And it's funny because I was listening to earlier episodes because I, I didn't want to say the same stuff over and over. And in the first episode I was with, I was like, I'm Kessid. I am a 36-year-old single woman, you know? And in the second one, I was like, I'm Kessid. I'm a 37-year-old um, <laughs> engaged woman. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm Kessid. I'm a 40-year-old married woman. Um, and God has done a, a big kindness in my life through that. And so, yeah, since since the last time I talked with you, some big life events have happened, obviously. Um, I do work at Liberty University. I am a professor, uh, but I'm an adjunct professor. My main role is I actually direct an internship program for students um, who are going overseas for a semester. And that comes out of um, my life of growing up overseas in various parts of Southeast Asia, and then um, going to college in Mississippi, and then actually serving back overseas, teaching English um, for the sake of the gospel, and so that I could build relationships with people and tell them stories about Jesus and about what he had done for them. And so, um, yeah, honestly, like, just like has been said, I'm, I'm like obsessed with story. Um, and specifically obsessed with God's big story and um, and how he has woven so much throughout the entire narrative of scripture and how I understand my own story better when I place it into his larger narrative. And so that's something I'm really, really passionate about and get to do a lot of training on. And I just feel incredibly lucky that I have um, been placed by him in a job where I get to do that. Like that's insane to me that, that that I get to do things that I really love every single day. Um, and so yeah. Um, so I was I was actually praying a lot uh, this morning and and you know the week leading up to today about even how I would introduce myself and um, what is important for people to know about me. And I think for the context of the conversation today what is important that people know about me is that um, God has done a kindness in my life to show me how I am not strong. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, have oh, a very, yes, that's a good word. That's a good have word. A very strong personality. And I am very like bullheaded. And um, honestly, I'm not naturally gentle. Um, I have a gentle spirit, but I'm just not naturally kind of that person that people probably talk about in that way. Um, and some of that came out of the way I grew up and um, moving around so much and honestly having some small T trauma in my life when I was little um, and just different things that happened along the way where I um, really kind of put up some walls and and became, you know, kind of the fighter. Like, okay, I'm going to, I can do this, I can do this, you know. Um, and I, I let people in, but in my own terms and, um, you know, I was, I, I very much grew up, um, and, and, and let me just say, this is not any way the fault of 
any person or my parents or I like I had an incredible life. It is the fault of a broken world and my broken response to it. And when I was, by the time I got to be about in high school, um, I was like becoming known for being strong. Um, and, and it was spoken over me all the time. Like it was a really good thing, you know, oh, Cassidy, you're so strong. Oh, Cassidy, you're so, um, and, and, and so I really like thought that was like good, you know, like I was, I was good at leading and, and, and all of these things. And so that continued on into college. And, um, I, I remember, um, it was about my junior year, I think of college, I was working at a camp and, um, my college experience had been really good. It was hard because I had to learn how to have, you know, cultural transition in a new context and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I kind of like dug my heels in, you know, I can do it. Um, cause that's just kind of how I, I, I get things done, I guess. And through that, I was a leader and I was known as like being very black and white and this is the way that it goes and all that kind of stuff. And I really, honestly, I wasn't gentle. I just, I wasn't. And um, I I was working at a, a summer camp and I woke up really early in the morning to have time with the Lord and I couldn't find my Bible. And I was like, there is no way I'm turning on these lights and waking up all of these 10 year olds so that I could find my Bible. And so next to one of the little girl's beds, there was a, um, there was a little, like a little girl Bible, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I, I picked it up and I went outside and I was going to read, um, I was going to read just whatever I could in her little, her little simple version. And I, uh, I picked it up and I just opened it up and I don't even remember what version it was. And I opened it up and I opened it up to second Corinthians 12, nine, and I was reading it in this simple way. And it said, um, God shows up best in weak people. And I was like, oh no, like it just hit me. And I, I mean, I know this verse. This is that verse that says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast about, about all my weaknesses. You know, that's that's what that verse is, how I've usually read it. And I guess I've read, I had read it so many times, it just didn't mean anything to me anymore. And I opened that little girl's Bible and it says, God shows up best in weak people. And I, I just had, you know, those moments you have with the Lord and I just am sitting there and I'm weeping and I'm like, oh no, God, like I have spent my whole life trying to become strong and have been encouraged to become strong by many, not everybody, but by many. And I don't know what to do with this. And you know, it wasn't like God actually verbally whispered to me, but there was a whisper in my heart when I said, I've worked my whole life to be strong, where I just felt a response from him where he's like, I didn't ask that of you. I I didn't ask that of you. And it started this journey in my life where I, I prayed for weakness. And I said, okay, Lord, like if you show up best in weak people, I want to be weak. And, um, that next year was like the worst. It was the worst year. (laughs) It was awful. There were so many things that happened and, um, you know, the things that happen aren't really even that important. Um, but 
um, at the end of the year, I found myself just like literally on the floor of my aunt and uncle's house, just being like, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't. And that was the moment he reminded me of the prayer I had prayed a year, a year before that. And he was like, okay, now you're ready for me to start working on you. Like now you're ready for me to show you how weak you are. And I thought it was going to be like a month lesson. Like I, I was like, yeah, give me a month. We're going to get this together. Like, you know, and, um, I I'm still in the lesson. Like it is, it's a, it's a very much a life lesson for me. And he uses so many things, but one of the things that I've seen him use pretty prevalently, um, is my health, um, and, and the limit of my body. And I, honestly, he did that before I even knew the prayer I was praying. Like I had dingy fever when I was little living overseas in Southeast Asia. Um, I, even as I got older, um, you know, and I moved to the States, like my immune system was confused because I had the immune system of an Asian and I was getting sick all the time in America. And, you know, it would always happen around the time when I had stuff I needed to get done. Um, and then in seminary, oh no, no, then I went back overseas and there were multiple times I got sick. I had walking pneumonia. Um, I, at one point, my menstrual cycle lasted for like a month and a half. It was insane. It was miserable. Um, and then, um, there were just multiple times that I just was so sick and I don't know if that's because when I was little and had dinghy fever, it messed with, I, I don't know, but, um, that continued to to be part of what God allowed in my life because it was like when my spirit wouldn't agree with him that I was weak, my body would respond out of that. And he would be like, okay, Kessid, like I've given you an opportunity to be weak. You're not really responding to it. So I'm going to allow illness to really show you the limit of your body. Um, you are made from dust um, and, and, and you, you cannot do everything. And that continued on into um, my time in seminary. I got mono um, multiple times, which you're not really supposed to do, but I got mono multiple times and was like literally just laid out in, um, you know, in my, in my house and my professors were so kind about it, but it was just every time I just had such a frustration that like, I wanted to do something. I wanted to live a strong life. And every time God was like, cause it is not like, it is all of you that is weak. Like all of you cannot do this, include you, you don't even have control over your body and the limits of your body. So my, my coworker here a few months ago even said, he was like, I've never met someone who gets sick so much. And man, I hated that statement. Cause I don't want to be known as somebody that's sick all the time, you know, but like, I don't have control over that. There are things I do have control over. I need to eat right. I need to exercise and like you know, like I've worked really hard to try and be healthy, but at the end of the day, my body is limited. And, um, so, you know, I mentioned that like some big things have happened in my life since I talked to you guys last time. And one of those is I got married, but about a month before I got married, I got COVID and I got it really bad and couldn't breathe. And I probably should have been in the hospital. Um, honestly coming out from that, I look back on it and I'm like, oh, that was way worse than I realized it was like, mm, okay. Um, and I literally, the first week I was back at work after having COVID was the week before I got married. Um, and 
And like during that time, I remember even saying to before I got COVID, I used to joke with my fiance at the time with Matt and and he would be like, see, you need me. And I would kind of jokingly respond to him like, I don't need you. I'm just choosing you. I want you, you know, and like when I had COVID, this was like a few days, you know, a few weeks or probably like a week before we got married. I finally just broke down and I was like, I do. I need you. Like, I can't. I can't even hardly like take care of myself right now. And that continued and I had long haul COVID really bad and my um my lungs don't work like they used to. And so I use an inhaler and I never did before. Um, anytime, like I have fatigue that just randomly shows up um, and it has just been a reminder um, from the Lord. He has allowed it in my life. And it has been a reminder that I am weak. And when I feel the weakest and oftentimes when illness crops up is literally when I am going to go in and like story scripture with the class, like mm-hmm. the weeks where we have the most lectures for that are the weeks where I have fatigue. Um, and even today <laughs> I woke up this morning and I was laying in bed and I was like, Oh no, I feel so bad today. And, um, and, and Matt was like, well, you don't have much on your, on your, um, you know, schedule today. And I was like, well, I have this podcast I'm doing. And he was like, we'll see if they can reschedule it. And I was like, no, cause it's all about illness. Like I'm going to tell a story about a woman <laughs> that has been bleeding for 12 years. And this morning, you know, I don't know, this might be TMI for your listeners, but this morning my cramps started, my body is fatigued. And it's earlier than it should be. And I was like, mm, God, you're so kind yeah. to let me have this experience while I tell this story. So, you know, I think that that is something that I want would want people to know about me, that I am very aware of my weakness. And um, if you knew me when I was 10 or 15 or even 20, that would be a very strange thing to come out of my mouth. But um I am a very weak person and yet it is in my weakness that I can boast because God does incredible things. And I am really thankful that I am not, that I am, you know, as a 40 year old, I know that I am not in charge and I know that I cannot handle things. And I know that I need him because literally sometimes my body just quits. Um, so yeah, that's, that is who I am. Yes. it. Hi. Love your honesty, your vulnerability, your the real telling of your inner thoughts, emotions, and how you were shaped and how God is growing you through that. And I love the way you said, I don't even have control over my own body. I, I have responsibility to eat right and and there's yeah. things I can do. I, I just heard this lecture on the difference between control and agency. And that the more we think we have to control everything in our lives, the more anxiety revs up. And that's why in America, you know, anxiety disorders are through the roof because we all think we have to be this strong person and we have to be in control of everything, our finances, our children, our husbands, our work, our, you know, and the more we feel like we have to be in control, the more anxiety revs up because we are not in control. He is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't excuse us from agency, which we can all exercise. 
we need to take agency over our bodies and our kids and our, you know, finances and everything, but then leave the control part to him. And agency is like influence and right. making good decisions. You you get it. Anyway, yeah. Um, I just love that you that you said that and the way you can relax then into okay, this is my body, these are my limits. Yeah. But I can relax in it because God is real and he has assured me I am in control. But Julia, you were going to say something. No, I was just going to say, in, in that posture of acceptance, it's not, oh God, you're stressing me out and frustrating me because you're making me weak and you're stopping me from doing all the things I could do if I could just be strong. You said he showed me a kindness in my life Yeah, that you are not strong. Like, yeah. The, that I think the maturity that you have to say it's a kindness yeah for giving God glory to to be the strength in everything that you do when it's a big lecture time or it's a big thing where you're about to send your students out or whatever yeah. that's when you're weak and he is strong that's that's inspiring because I think our tendency is to be like well geez God if you just heal me and make me strong I'd be able to do all this stuff for you but nope I'm sick again you know so the fact that you have that um just I mean listeners I'm convicted and encouraged to have that posture that got maybe God oh, knows what he's doing and knows more than we know and that that having that faith in our life even in illness is just awesome so. Yeah. Well, and you know, that I think I've talked to you guys about this before. I think it might've been in one of the, the, I think it was before the prayer night. It hasn't been on one of the podcasts, but I, somebody pointed out that I use that term a lot, like God's kindness, mm-hmm. but that's a whole nother story. Like, yeah. I just need to come back and tell you the story of me understanding God's kindness because that actually came out of me one day telling a student that God was kind and realizing I didn't actually believe it. Mm, mm. And I had to go home and really confess to the Lord and be like, God, I have forgotten you are kind and it is influencing how I perceive and, and, and translate everything around me. Um, and it was a big moment actually in my singleness because I had forgotten God was kind and the enemy had convinced me that God was withholding from me. Mm. And I had to really like come to the Lord and he he is like now like his character of kindness is like one of the things that I know the most and I can speak the most and knowing God is kind it does it becomes a lens by how you interact with like anything that's going on around you even the the year that you know I it's like the last time I was on this podcast I had just gotten engaged and um I don't think I mentioned this but uh, that year, the the verse that God kind of started out the year with me was in, where is it? Psalm 65, 11, I think is what it is. And it talks about how God will crown the year with his bounty and his, and the wagon tracks will overflow with abundance. And I was reading it and I was like, that is, and first of all, wagon tracks. Okay. Um, but I was, <laughs> I was like reading it and I was like, that's such an interesting verse. And then I couldn't get it out of my mind. And over and over, I just felt that those words like settle on my spirit about God's bounty, God's bounty, and how the year was going to be crowned with his bounty. This is like, keep in mind, 2020 is starting. And this is the verse that I'm hearing. 
And I, even in that, I was like, I know God will provide, like that has never been a question. My parents raised me so well to absolutely trust that God will provide. But even reading that verse, I was like, huh, you know what? Like when I think about God as provider, do I think about him providing out of bounty or do I almost picture he's throwing me scraps from the table? And I realized a lot of times in my life, I felt like he was throwing me scraps from the table instead of inviting me to a feast. And I was like, oh, that's not, that's not a good perspective. And so that became the verse of my year. So as I had COVID and long haul and all of that, like I continually like felt like God was saying, this is my bounty for you, like for you to know your weakness and for you to know my strength and to see my people rally around you and love you through it. That is my bounty for you. Um, and man, like that was hugely impactful um, as I interacted with all of those limitations I had um, and was out of work for like six or seven weeks. And even when I came back to work, could hardly walk up steps. And like, this is still continuing years later. Like I did uh, our big grand narrative storying lectures in multiple classes a few weeks ago, and I was using my inhaler like it's candy. Um, I would have to stop in the middle and just breathe. Like I, I could not even breathe. And, and every single time to take in that breath and to remember that I am limited. Um, and yet God breathed into man the first time he made them. And it's through his breath that things happen, not through my breath, because I can't even breathe. Oh, amen. That's, that's so good. And I think um, when you talked about you were grateful for your weakness, I think we forget often that really we know him the best when we are sitting inside of our weakness mm-hmm. because that's when he is at his strongest and in order for us to know him we need more of him and in order to need more of him we need to acknowledge where our weaknesses lie yeah and um i really believe we are watching a culture right now that everybody has to be the best and portray the best and uh, portray their lives as the best when really um, we have to look and think where is God most glorified because I don't want to live in my own strength my own strength is just dirty rags I want to live in his strength I want to know his strength more and I want to um, honor the fact that um, when we acknowledge our weakness is when we've taken one step forward to say, okay, God, I now want to live in your strength. I now want to know you in that intimate of ways, but yeah. It's so crazy. You just said the dirty rags thing, because do you know what those dirty rags were when it talks about that in scripture? I am positive. You will tell us in a beautiful way. (laughs) Well, I don't know about it's beautiful, but those were menstrual rags. Yes, oh, yes. Say, this is going to lead. And here we're um, all going to bring it together now. People are going to be like, exactly. what in the world are these ladies talking about? This Shall is we just have a whole me? episode about period cramps? Let me <laughs> do it. I don't even have any of my girl parts anymore. Let's just have a whole talk. Yeah, like our best, our best, our best like strength is like yeah. menstrual rags. I'm yeah. like, oh gosh, that puts it in perspective, you know? Yeah. That does put it in perspective, yeah. doesn't it? Absolutely. And I love that. I mean, I don't love that you woke up weak and sick and with cramps and like, oh boy, and now I have to go out, you know, on this podcast. But just the irony of you literally are going to tell a story 
about a woman with the issue of blood, right? Yeah. And um, I love it just because listeners, this just gets so real. Like we're sitting around a kitchen table, really sharing our hearts with you. I hope you always feel that environment in that sense. None of us are lecturing to you. None of us are, you know, we're just being real. So I love that, Kesson. So jump in with that story, if you would. Yeah. So when you guys contacted me and you're like, Hey, would you like to tell a story about a woman in the Bible? I didn't have to think about it. I was like, yes, I would like to tell you the story of the bleeding woman. Um, I love this story and I love this story for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to start by telling you this story. And then I'll kind of like, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I might tell it twice before we're done with today. Cause it's just that good, but I'll tell you the story and then I'll kind of backtrack a little bit and tell you why I love it. Um, So you can find this story in Luke uh, 8. So it came about time. And I'm just going to tell it. I'm not going to read it. But um, it came about time in in Jesus' ministry where he was out. And, you know, he's becoming more and more familiar to people. They know that he's a healer and he's a great speaker and all of these different things. And one day, this man named Jairus, who was actually the head of the synagogue, which is a really interesting tidbit. Um, he comes to Jesus and and he tells him that his 12-year-old daughter is dying, his only daughter, and, and asks, will you come with me? And so Jesus um, leaves what he's doing and he starts walking with this man. Now, Jesus is known at this time. And so when Jesus moves, crowds move with him. And so as he's following this man to this to Jairus's house, there are just crowds like coming up and they are, you know, wanting things from him and they are following him. And, you know, if you've ever walked in a place where the roads are narrow and there's crowds of people, you're just jostling up against everybody. And in the midst of this, um, there is a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and she hears that Jesus is coming and she thinks to herself, oh my goodness, if I could, if I could just touch Jesus garment, like not even his skin, but his garment, if I could just touch him, I would be made well. And so she comes through the crowd, she's jostled up and she finally gets close enough to Jesus and she touches the hem of his cloak, like the most corner part of him. And it says that as soon as she does, her blood stops. Like she feels that she is healed. Well, also at the same time, as soon as she does, Jesus feels power go out from him. And he turns and he says, who just touched me? And, you know, the, the disciples are like, Jesus, I mean, we're in a crowd of people. Like, you know, I just imagine their response. You know, they're like, what do you mean who just touched you? And he's like, no, no, no. Who touched me? like intentionally, because I just felt power go out from me. And he continues to push this. And finally, the woman who had, who was now a healed woman, not a bleeding woman, um, she comes and, and she's afraid because she's getting pulled out for what she just did and trembling. She goes down before Jesus and she tells him what she has done, that she touched his cloak so that he could heal her. And Jesus' response is so kind, and he looks at her, and he says, um, go in peace. Your faith has made you well, and um, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years leaves as a woman um, who is not bleeding anymore, a woman of faith who has been healed by Jesus, and that's the story of the bleeding woman. 
I love that story so much. Have any of you guys been watching The Chosen? I I haven't. That that story is depicted on one of the episodes. Kessid, just go scroll and find that episode, because as you're telling it, now I have such a visual, and the joy in her. But the yeah, the disciples around him are like, come on, dude. Everyone's you know just all the details you told. So listeners, if you haven't tuned into that, uh, the chosen it's stories of the gospel. Just, just like Kessa just told that story in words, they're depicting it on the big screen with, mm-hmm. with characters and making it come alive. Um, but now for why you love that story. <laughs> yeah. So I do. I love this story. And I told this story a lot when I was in Southeast Asia. Um, and there's a few reasons why. So culturally, in that context, um, where I was, that it's prom- uh, primarily followers of Islam. So primarily Muslims that are there. And I had a lot of Muslim friends. And um, something that's very interesting about followers of Islam it, for women is they believe that when they are during their time of the month, they are unclean and they are not allowed to enter into the mosque or pray. And so um, something that I would do is there was a large mosque in our city and there was a little restaurant across from the mosque. And usually if you went to the mosque around prayer time, um, there weren't really any men in that restaurant, but there were always women. And what I realized is, oh, these are the women that are on their period. So they can't go into the mosque. So they sit here and they wait for their boyfriends or their husbands or their brothers or whoever to go in and come back out and their friends, you know, the girls that aren't on their period and can go talk to God. um, And they sit uh, out on the edges and on the outskirts. And so I would go and I would get to know these women and I would share this story. Um, And they loved this story. They loved this story and they loved to hear that like Issa um, you know, is that's their word for Jesus. Like Isa had come and he, he was, he wasn't angry with this woman. When this woman came and touched him, he wasn't angry. He was kind and he turned and he healed her. Um, but I think to really, really understand this, you've got to understand the old Testament and you have to understand the law. And so I don't know if you guys thought I was going to come on here and only talk about the new Testament, but I love the old Testament. So we gotta, we gotta go back a little bit. Okay. Yes, so, please. So um, I am going to start probably back farther than even most people think I will, because you always need to start at the beginning to understand what happens later on in the story. So God created the heavens and the earth. And for five days, um, he created, you know, the, the earth, he, he, he put, he had land. It was separated from water. He filled the water. He filled the land. He filled the sky. And on the sixth day, um, he said, let us make man in our image. And so in his likeness, he created man and woman. And, and, you know, there's a lot of really cool things about being made in the image of God. Um, But we have to be really careful not to read that as though it's about us. Really what that says is that we can have a relationship with God. If you're made in the image of God, then you're able to have intimate relationship with God. Now, at this point, they are full, full image bearers. Like there are not, I mean, full, but still 
bearers. Like they're not God. Um, but this is before sin has come in and marred their image bearing. And so there is just this beautiful reality that they get to sit in with God, you know? And at the end of day six, it says that while every other day, you know, God looked out over creation and said, oh, this is good. On the sixth day, he said, oh, this is very good. And man and woman are a part of that. Now, they are not, he's not looking at them and saying, man and woman are good, which you have to be really careful because I have heard it taught that way. But scripture says that God looked at everything and the Hebrew there is the totality. And so God looks at the, the, the creation finished and he says, this is very good. And man and woman as a part of that image bearing to be in relationship with him. And so they are in relationship with him and the best way for them to be intimate with him and to know him and to have the knowledge of the goodness of walking with Jesus, I mean, or walking with God is to walk in obedience. And so he's given them a mandate not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They can eat from any other tree, including the tree of life, but they can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as long as they, you know, knowledge in Hebrew means experiential knowledge, um, there is an assumption that it's not just head knowledge, but that it's by experience. So every moment they are choosing good, they are walking in experiential knowledge of good. Um, but the moment that they choose to eat the fruit after the serpent manipulates them, they now have the knowledge of good and evil, but it is a very, that's a difficult knowledge to have. And as soon as they have it, their image is marred. They There is a brokenness. And so the intimacy that they had with God um, is different. God in his kindness um, pushes them out of the garden. He releases them from the garden after making a promise that Jesus will come, the snake crusher. Um, and he releases them from the garden so that they will no longer have access to the tree of life. Because if they eat from the tree of life in their marred state, then they will be forever in that marred state. And so he releases them and he guards the path back to the tree of life. And then he actually, the rest of the Old Testament comes out into the Old Testament land of the story and puts himself in their midst. And I, I talked about this a little bit in the last episode when I was talking about Bezalel. So if you want to know more about this, like, I'm just going to tell you, if you have me on here again, I'm going to do the same thing because, you know, sorry, God. Um, but I want to give you a different, some different information in this part that will help you understand um, the part about the bleeding woman. So as part of when God uh, chooses a people and he places his presence in their midst, they are now broken image bearers. And so for them to be able to come into the presence of God, something has to happen that enables that. And so in the last podcast, I talked about Bezalel making the Ark of the Covenant, um, and there was the tabernacle, and that's where the presence of God was. Well, the sacrificial system and what we know as the law in the Old Testament was a huge part of how people would come in. Now, I have to confess to you that for a lot of my life, I thought the law functioned like this. I thought it was like, if you do something wrong, you make a sacrifice, and then God forgives you, and now you can be in relationship with God, um, which sometimes that is what happened. But actually, when you read Leviticus, there are, is a lot there that's really not about doing something wrong. And it's really about image bearing. It's about now that the fall has happened, now that 
sin has come into the world. Something is wrong with our wholeness. There is something wrong. When the fall came in the consequences that God spoke out, there were specific things he said, you know, um, to the man, he was like, hey, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to work the ground now. To the woman, he said, pain is going to be very hard during childbirth. And so there's something about my body as a woman that is impacted by the fall. Even this morning, the pain I woke up with because I am on my period, that is from the fall. That is a direct result of that. And so um, when you get into these parts of the law, there's a lot of times where it's talking about what makes someone unable to come into the presence of God because it's something about their their image bearing. It's something about their uncleanness. Um, and even right outside of the garden, it makes it really clear that everybody born after Adam and Eve is born a marred image bearer. Um, in Genesis, let me see if I can remember it. It's Genesis uh, 5. Let me find it. Yeah, Genesis 5. It literally says, um, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, right? So that's when he said, let me make you in my image. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And then this is the part that just stood out to me for the first time a few years ago. It said, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. So everything after Adam, we are born as broken image bearers. Something is wrong with our wholeness. It is not just about what we do. And that becomes really, really, really obvious if you read Leviticus. Um, and a lot of people don't like Leviticus because they think of it as a list of rules and like almost like a meanness from God. But like, Leviticus and the law is not what is keeping people away from God. Sin and a broken image keeps people away from God. Leviticus is the kindness of God to say, this is how you can be in relationship with me. So, you know, in Exodus, um, which is where we were last time in the podcast with building the tabernacle and all that kind of stuff. At the end of Exodus, it says that God's glory kind of fills the, the tabernacle, but Moses is not even allowed to go in it. Because there's got to be something that happens so that you can come into that tent of meeting. And Leviticus is where um, the tabernacle becomes the tent of meeting, where you can meet with God because the law enables you to do that. So when you have the setup of the tabernacle, you have the altar um, and there's this place of offering as you come in and the blood of the sacrifice that you made, it's, it's not actually sprinkled on the sinner. It's sprinkled on the altar. It's sprinkled to keep the space of God's presence holy. It's not until Jesus sacrifice that the blood is sprinkled on the sinner because that's when we become the space of God's presence. In the Old Testament, the space of God's presence was the tabernacle and the temple. So, okay, why in the world did I say all this as we're talking about the bleeding woman? Well, great question. If you go to Leviticus 15, um, this is in the midst of a law of the law where it's talking about um, what makes something unclean? Now, in Leviticus and in the law, there's there's some rules about what makes unclean and what happens if you are unclean. So, for example, if I am unclean and I touch someone else, 
that person is now unclean. The nature of unclean is that it makes other things unclean. That's the nature of unclean. And so it doesn't matter if it's just me. Like if I am unclean and I touch Susan, Susan is now unclean. So it's not just me that has to like make sacrifice to go into God's presence. Susan now has to do it. Um, so this becomes real, real as a woman when I get to Leviticus 15. And there's this lovely title in my Bible, and it says, Laws About Bodily Discharges. Mm, That sounds fun, right? You should see my students' faces when I tell them we're going to talk about this. It's a class of like 140 people, and they're looking at me like, who is this woman, and why are we having this conversation? Um, So in this chapter, it actually talks about how if a man has an omission, that's the wording in my Bible, if a man has an omission, um, and, and, you know, there's specific places about how if it's a nightly emission and it's like obviously not he, something he chooses, he is now unclean. And in order for him to go into the presence of God, there are specific ritual purifying that has to happen for him to be enabled to come into God's presence. Okay, so that's the man issue. But now I'm going to talk about the woman issue. When you get to verse 19 of chapter 15, it says, When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything else on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits when he touches it he shall be unclean until the evening and if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him he shall be unclean seven days and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean but it doesn't stop there if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every day on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity." And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. So there is a woman who for 12 years has been unclean. That means that she cannot be in relationship with people. It means anyone that touches her is now unclean. It means she can't go into the temple. It means that if she chooses to come into a crowd where she is jostling up against people, everyone that jostles up against her is now unclean. There is deep, deep, deep healing that happens in the story of the bleeding woman, and some of it is physical, but a lot of it is not. So I'm going to tell you the story again. One day, there is a man named Jairus. He is the leader of the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus because his daughter is dying. And he says, Jesus, will you please come with me? My daughter is dying. 
And so Jesus leaves what he's doing and he starts walking with Jairus. There are people jostling up against him. There's a crowd on the road and, and wherever he goes, they are following him. And there's a woman who has been unclean for 12 years. And she hears that Jesus is coming. And she thinks if I can just touch his cloak, then I will be made well. This is a woman that for 12 years, the doctors couldn't tell her what was wrong. She hasn't been able to have a normal relationship of a husband. Anytime someone touches her, they have to go through purity rituals to be able to enter into the presence of God. And this woman walks into a crowd of people because she is desperate and she touches his garment. And the moment she touches it, she feels that the blood stops for the first time in 12 years. And the moment that she feels that within her leave, Jesus feels power within him leave. And he turns and he says, who touched me? Jesus is all knowing. <laughs> this is not because he didn't know. The woman responds in fear because she knows that as an unclean woman, she should not be touching anyone. And she trembles and she comes and she comes before Jesus and she gets down and she said, it was me. I touched you. And instead of being angry and instead of throwing her out of that crowd of people in order to protect those other people, he looks at her and he says, your faith has made you well. Because something was wrong with her wholeness. According to the law, if she touches someone, they should be made unclean. According to the law, when she touches Jesus, Jesus should be made unclean. But Jesus comes with a better law. He is not magic. He is not just a physician. He is the presence of God. And so when a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years touches Jesus, instead of him being made unclean, he makes her clean. He takes that which is not whole and he makes it whole. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Oh my gosh. Is this the part where you just say like mic drop or whatever? Because what Tessin. I don't know if you remembered in my oh. story about my limits, my yes. body limits. When I was overseas serving, I had my period for about a month, a month and a half. And I remember one day laying on my bed and reading this story and I was exhausted. I had been bleeding for weeks at that point. I was, I didn't have any energy. I was frustrated. And I think God allowed me to have a snippet. I mean, talk about a snippet, right? One month um, instead of 12 years. And I, there was more, I realized in that moment where I was like, oh my goodness, like this woman for 12 years, she's exhausted. Like, I don't mean just frustrated, like you, you ladies know, like during that She's time, anemic. she's yes, got to be anemic. Exactly. And I, that's the point I was getting to. I was anemic and I realized, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter how exhausted I am. I will always have enough to get to Jesus. I will 
always have enough to touch his cloak. Yeah. Man. So when I had a friend who became a believer on the field in in um, Southeast Asia, I had a friend who decided to walk from being a follower of Islam to being a follower of Jesus. And um, I was discipling her. And it was pretty soon after she became a Christian and she came to my house for our typical discipleship time. And I asked her how she was doing. And she said to me, I'm, I'm okay, but I really miss Jesus today. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Like, why do you miss Jesus? I was like, why don't you pray? And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. I haven't been able to pray for four days. And I'm like, why? Like, why haven't you been able to pray for four days? Well, remember, she's coming out of being a follower of Islam. And through her understanding, she is unclean. She can't talk to God when she is bleeding. And so she said to me, she was like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm unclean right now. I can't, I can't talk to Jesus. I'm, I'm unclean. And it dawned on me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about the fact that I need to disciple you in this. And I told her this story. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Wait, let me tell you something. And I told her this story and we finished. And I just looked at her. I was like, do you understand? And she was like, Jesus makes me clean. And I was like, yeah, you can talk to him. And she just started crying because she was like, and she said to me, like in the just most gentle, like heartbreaking thing, she just looked at me and she said, Jesus wants to talk to me even when I'm unclean. And I'm like, yeah, that's why he came. Tessa, that's, that's powerful. I mean, that's, that whole story is powerful when you're able to look back into the scriptures and see the depth. Um, I mean, cause we, as women, we were created as nurturers. We were created as, um, to be in relationship with people and to think for 12 years, she was exhausted. She could not nurture anyone. She couldn't even nurture herself. Yeah. She could not be with any human for fear of making them unclean. So she walked around for 12 years, not just fatigued by the obvious anemia, but fatigued and plagued being an outcast of not being able to have a relationship with anyone. Mm-hmm. And the audacity and the tenacity of saying, if I could just touch his cloak, like, can you imagine having that deep belief that he could give me back a life? Mm -hmm. Like he could give me back a life if I could just touch just the cloak man, that's some tenacity right there. And yet desperation and weakness, knowing he's going to show up, show up stronger than I could have ever imagined. I mean, she trusted him. She and, trusted and she had to him. overcome her fear. Yeah. Her, I mean, for 12 years, she's been told you're nothing. You're, right. you're worse than nothing. You, that's right. you stay away from us you are unclean, you're impure. I mean, imagine what that does to your, your psyche, not being able to hug anyone, being told 
basically you're worthless. And yet she, she had to overcome her fear to even go in that crowd in the first place. Yeah. Because what if everybody around her saw the blood? I mean, how much blood was gushing out of her? What if, what if someone saw her trail of blood in this crowd? Mm -hmm. Um, But and, and in the sovereignty of God, did he remove the fear just enough for her to make her way through that crowd? And, and then of course she is afraid when he calls, when he calls it out, like, oh no, now I am going, you know, you know what I love though? I love that Jesus, you know, he's all knowing he knew, he knew. Right. <laughs> and I love that this is me doing, you know, Susan's and Ivy, Susan's version of this, I believe he called that out so he could teach the men around him a lesson about, in a kind way, about, I love her. I see her, her faith and just wanting to touch my cloak. Let's, let's re let's rephrase this. I mean, I love that he chose that as a lesson moment because you know, he knew and he could have kept going, but he stopped to show them this is this is the new way. This is the new way. I am the new way. Well, and and God, like throughout scripture, he models like that all the time. Like, you know, I've heard people say that sometimes God asks questions because he doesn't know. Like that's what they're communicating. And I'm like, well, that's a very small God. That's right. You know? that's um, right. But like, even look in the garden, like God comes into the garden. He's like, where are you? That's right. And then he's like, did, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And it's not that God doesn't know. It's that he's showing them. I want you to know that even in your disobedience and your uncleanness, I still want to be in communication with you, but it has to start with you acknowledging your uncleanness to me. You have to start this with confession. Yeah. And then the same thing happens outside of the garden with Cain and Abel when he's like, where's your brother? And like, again, did he not know? No, he knew, but this is how God approaches people, you know? And like the, the, what this like, man, what this shares, when you know the Levitical law, all of this said in the stories about Jesus, they are so much more theologically powerful. Jesus is not magical. He is not a wizard. He's not, you know, part of, he's not a Harry Potter professor at Hogwarts. Like that's not what's going on here. Um, Jesus is the presence of God and he interacts with uncleanness in a different way. Like Leviticus has the same laws about lepers, about dead bodies, about like all these different people that according to the law should not be touching Jesus. But Jesus, what does he do when, when he sees a leper, he walks over to them and he touches them and his presence, his cleanness makes them clean. Um, and man, if you don't understand that about Leviticus and the law, then Jesus seems just like a really cool guy doing nice healings. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and and his miracles, <laughs> his miracles seem kind of random. If you mm-hmm. just read the, the gospels and, oh, he healed it, it, this person. He rose this person from the dead. He, he, you know, it's just like, oh, random. But every single miracle he did was to show that he was in control over uncleanness, over death, over leprosy, over, right? Oh, I mean, those mm-hmm. miracles were to authenticate mm-hmm. who he really was, God in the flesh, walking amongst us. Yeah, he came uh, to bring his kingdom. 
He did that in his words. He did that through his presence. He did that through his community. And then he did it through his death and resurrection, you know? And like, he's not just, he's not just biding time and doing magic. And I think, unfortunately, that's what some of us think uh, that either he's doing magic or he's just a good doctor. When really he just came to make us whole, which is everything. It's everything. And he, he came to heal the brokenhearted, yeah. right? To, to give that oil of joy in places of the ashes. I, I wish I could quote that Isaiah verse better. But he came to the sick and the suffering and the needy and those who knew they needed him in some way, shape, or form. Not for those. And, and Kessa, this kind of ties up your intro. He didn't come for those who are so strong, they don't need him. He didn't come for those who have it all figured out and in their hearts are like, I have to control everything and I will control everything and then my life will be better. Okay. And he, he respects our autonomy and our free will so much that if that is our heart's posture and attitude, he says, okay, you don't need me. I didn't come for you. But when we are desperate and Kesson, I love that your story and the the woman with the bleeding issue dovetails so beautifully. When we are desperate and we know our limits and we know we need him, he comes mm-hmm. and it's beautiful and it's peaceful and it's healing. And listeners, he really does bring that help and that hope and that healing. We see it in biblical stories. There are true stories that we can read and think about and go deeper. And I love your background from Leviticus that makes it even richer and more understandable. Um, You see it in biblical stories. You see it in in everyday stories of women all around us. So listeners, I hope you enjoyed our favorite storyteller, Kesset. And yes, we will have you back again, my friend. Awesome. I would love that. Yes, we will. Kessid, you're a treasure. You are a treasure, a treasure. Um, I'm, I, man, you got books in you, girl. You got books in you. You've got Bible studies in you. You have got the, I really do believe, and I know I've said this before, but I do believe that um, the global church would greatly benefit um, from your wisdom, your storytelling, uh, because you make us not only understand stories better, but you make us love Jesus deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, man, God is good in you and he is kind in you and he is mighty in you. And what an honor and a privilege it is to call you friend. Cause you're, you're amazing. You're amazing. He's good in you, my friend. He is. Thank you for letting me come on and and share his story. Mm, that's good. We're all benefiting from it already. So I know, right? That's exactly <laughs> it. I will, be, I will officially be messed up the rest of the day. Like, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you could see the tears that have fallen from Susan's face, Julia's face. Oh, it's so good. They heard the ones from my face. <laughs> <laughs> all of our mascaras run. We got big black streaks down our cheeks, and uh, but our souls feel light and happy and we hope yours do too we love you listeners tune in um for the next episode and you'll hear more stories that can change lives we love you bye 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 bye